Welcome to the Art Life Faith Podcast. This is the show where we talk about art, what it has to do with your life, and what has to do with the Christian faith. And I'm your host, Roger Lowther. This is episode 10, The Power of Beauty and the Devastation. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about Pippi the Piano and the Very Big Wave, an illustrated children's book released last week. Thank you for your support of this project. Sales have been going really well, and it's pretty exciting. We were the number one bestseller on Amazon in various categories for both the English and the Japanese versions of the book. And it's our hope that this will be a blessing to you, sharing just one story of hope in really hard times. The story takes place during the tsunami that hit Japan in 2011. But there's an important part of the story that doesn't get much attention in the book. In fact, it only gets one little part of one page because it's seen through the eyes of Pippi the piano and he doesn't even realize what he's done. I think many artists are like that. We don't understand how important the role of the arts are or the degree to which it can help others. When the people were cleaning the mud and debris out of their church, they needed to decide what to do with their piano. Everyone else was taking their pianos to the street and throwing them out. And believe me, those waterlogged pianos are pretty heavy. It was no easy task to move them. And there was no trash collection, so they just sat there for months. And I was constantly reminded of how the tsunami robbed all those cities of music. At one point, soon after the tsunami, I found an upright piano that had been tossed outside, not by people, but by the wave itself. It was propped up on the roof of a house, leaning against some debris. And as I climbed over it to get a a picture, I guess I must have moved some of it just enough that the piano actually fell right there, right in front of me, and I could have been killed. I'm not making this up. I couldn't make this up. Anyway, what's so amazing about this story is that Kamaishi Church decided not to throw out their piano. When they tried playing the keys, they found it could still make music, though barely. It still had life in it. It was still breathing, in a sense. It could be fixed. There was hope. And they desperately needed that hope. During that time... There was a tendency to think it was pointless, that nothing would ever get better, that their town and their lives were beyond repair. But when the people looked at this piano, they remembered the promises of God. He does not abandon us in the mud and muck of this world, but he fixes us and encourages us and gives us the courage to keep going and to rebuild So it's because of the piano that the people decided to fix their church. And the pastor wanted me to make it clear that that is an important part of their story. Last month, I gave a TEDx talk on other stories of the power of beauty to bring hope and devastation. And I wanted to share them with you here as part of this podcast. This talk was given on November the 2nd at the Christian Heritage School near New Haven, Connecticut, If you go to the show notes for this podcast, you'll be able to see the video version. It was just before lunchtime in 1923. A devastating earthquake leveled the city of Tokyo, but what came next was even worse. 
A wall of fire raced through those broken wooden buildings faster than anyone could escape. The largest group of people took shelter in a park not far from my apartment building here in Tokyo. It's next to a river that runs through the city, but when the fire came, neither the water nor the park could protect them, and over 38,000 people died there in that one place. And throughout the city, hundreds of thousands of people died. I often run to the memorial museum that's in that park today, which tells the story. Well, Kikuchi Khan was a prominent writer at that time, and he wrote something that was put in all of the newspapers. He said this, In an emergency such as this earthquake, art is useless, to say the least. Our recent experience only helped expose the ultimate futility of all artistic endeavors. This quote struck me because it's the way that a lot of people think. When the budgets to our schools are cut, it's usually the arts that go first. And if you declare your major to be art in college, you're basically taking a vow of poverty, right? Because art is seen to be something extra, unnecessary, a luxury item, mere entertainment. When things get really tough, we need food, we need water, we need shelter to stay warm. But, you know, whoever died for lack of a painting? And it's foolish to even consider that art would have some kind of role in an emergency. Well, I found out for myself if this was true or not when another earthquake struck Japan in 2011. This time, instead of a wall of fire, it was a wall of water that took the lives of so many. A tsunami over 120 feet high in some places, if you can imagine. And this was followed by the nuclear disaster in Fukushima. It's really hard to express the fear that we felt during that time. We were told, don't drink the tap water. But, you know, there was no bottled water anywhere. The shelves were completely empty of everything. And we had small children. We didn't want them drinking the water. We were told not to go out in the rain because it was showering radioactivity from the sky. And blackouts rolled through the city, so we're in the dark. And everyone is fleeing, of course, <laughs> you know? And we were, there was whispering. I couldn't believe it. Is Japan finished? Is this the end? Well, it's in that situation that I entered as a relief worker to take those necessary items, food, water, clothing, supplies. Three days in, I was near the Fukushima power plants in a shelter, and in the corner, there was an old sticky <laughs> keyboard. Now, I'm a classical musician. During my six years at Juilliard, I was taught how to play on stage in a nice, controlled, quiet, clean environment, playing a tux, you know, and here I was in jeans, uh, boots, a winter jacket because it was really cold. My hair is a mess because I've been sleeping in the truck and that was before my COVID-19 haircut, which is short, so I had longer hair and you could tell. 
and <laughs> we were stressed and tired from driving all night and trying to find the holes in the road from the earthquake. And I was asked to give a concert in that situation, which would seem like the most futile and useless thing I could possibly do. And yet, you know, I don't think I've ever played for a more appreciative audience. It wasn't just the applause and the wonderfuls and bravos, but the comments they made afterwards. Music had a power that I'm just beginning to understand. It didn't even occur to me that music could be useful or even necessary. Pretty soon, my full-time job became giving concerts up and down the coast of Japan in the shelters where the tsunami had hit. You know, despite the driving all night and living in a tent, eating instant and canned foods and no running water, no showers, no flush toilets, despite all these very much less than ideal circumstances, it was like I found music for the first time something I've been playing my entire life. There's one concert in particular that stands out to me. I was in a nuclear power plant north of the ones in Fukushima. It had been shut down when the earthquake hit. And we observed a minute of silence at 2.46 p.m. to remember the time the earthquake hit. And then it was my job to give a concert and with the musicians with me. I tell you, I've never been in a room that's more somber. I'm an organist, so I've been in many rooms full of grieving people, but this was different. This is much worse. I've never felt that kind of despair. Everyone was staring at the floor. Nobody wanted us there. Well, it's, it's more like they didn't care if we were there or not. You know, there was nothing that seemed appropriate to break that silence. Nothing we could do musically or verbally. One of the musicians with us played the traditional Japanese flute, the shakuhachi. He went to one side of the room and he played a short melody. Do, do, One of the other musicians also played the flute. So he went to the other side of the room and echoed it back, but slightly differently. Back and forth, call and response, question and answer. There are melodies crisscross the room and through the people. Little by little, their music got, the melodies got longer and longer, happier, uh, faster, and people started to look up, sit up straighter. Well, the two musicians started to walk toward each other, and they met in the middle, and then formed almost like a little parade, the two of them walking together, through the people playing happy music and people started to clap along. And it was so cool to see how the music was moving the people, literally, you know, not just emotionally, but physically as well. 
And afterwards, so many people came up to talk with us. Uh, and wow, there were so many stories of loss. But there were stories of survival as well in life. There was a young high school girl who said that she played the flute and that she had it with her. And so, of course, we wanted to hear her, right? So she ran back. She's digging through all the possessions she has left in the world. And, you know, I don't think she'd had a chance to play her flute in that gymnasium just because there was no privacy and she wouldn't have wanted to bother anyone. So she grabbed her flute. She ran back. She started to play for us. And then the other two musicians joined in as well. And pretty soon, a group of women surrounded them and started to clap and sing along and even to dance. <laughs> okay? So it was like this party was starting to happen, this epitome of joy. And just moments before, we had been in the depths of despair. I had never seen such a contrast. I didn't know it was even possible. And only through music, it was through music that we saw this power for hope and for healing. And you know, in many shelters, I witnessed scenes like this over and over again. It wasn't always laughter and joy. It was also weeping and crying. As entire rooms of people were able to mourn and grieve, perhaps for the first time. So music played a role that I did not know it could play. It wasn't just useful. Oh, it was so important in those times. It completely broke down the barriers of what I'm taught to believe about music. And it began to make sense to me why it was that slaves sang in the cotton fields. And why is it that so many great works of art have come out of war? Or why that string quartet on the deck of the sinking Titanic played music knowing they were about to die. So to answer Mr. Khan, no, <laughs> music is not useless. Wow, it's not futile in the least. In fact, only a disaster like this could show us just how precious music really is. Thank you. This is Roger Lowther, and you've been listening to episode 10, The Power of Beauty and the Devastation, of the Art Life Faith Podcast. As we say in Japan, Ja, mata ne, see you next time. Mm-hmm.